Hello, teacher friends. Welcome to episode number 42 of the Beyond Measure podcast. Christina Whitlock here, your self-proclaimed anytime piano teacher friend. (laughs) And hey, before we go any further, I just want to offer up a quick thank you for listening to this podcast in the first place, (laughs) because you all have no idea how much you make my day by showing up and sharing these episodes. You are truly the very best crew of teacher friends a girl can have. So thank you. Okay, so today we are talking about the importance of being succinct with our words in our lessons. I actually think that this is one of the most important skills that we can develop as teachers Um, you know, like how to communicate what we need in as few words as possible. Why does this seem so hard sometimes? (laughs) Well, my theory anyway is that if you haven't noticed, a large number of teachers, including yours truly, well, we like to talk. (laughs) Some of us like to talk so much, we even sit in our closets and record words into microphones to share on the interwebs. (laughs) I know there are quieter teachers out there, but I have to imagine that they feel a little outnumbered in our profession, and also that they probably find themselves wishing we would all just like chill out once in a while, right? (laughs) So anyway, What's so important about being conservative in the number of words we are using? (laughs) Well, there are actually many reasons why we should work to explain concepts in as few words as possible, but it basically all boils down to this. Cutting out the fluff. (laughs) I'll tell you a story about the first time I submitted a proposal to speak at the MTNA National Conference. So this was back in 2016. It was for the San Antonio Conference, which was amazing, by the way. Um, I was incredibly excited when my proposal was accepted, but my heart also sank when I realized that they had assigned me to a 20-minute session and not the full 60-minute session I had planned for. Now, many of my presenter friends have been met by the same fate, and so many of us know how hard it is to take an axe to your research and basically cut it down by (laughs) two-thirds. But you know what? (laughs) As much as I whined about it, (laughs) and as hard as it was to whittle down that content to 20 minutes, It's also one of the most successful presentations I've given. I had to painstakingly consider what content was absolutely essential. I had to cut out every ounce of fluff. (laughs) I was six months pregnant at the time, and I really wanted to make a joke about my swollen ankles, and I just couldn't. There was no time. I couldn't even waste time making a comment about how little time we had. (laughs) Every second was just too precious. And you know what the end result was? (laughs) A well-rehearsed presentation that was fully packed with content, content, 
content. And honestly, as a conference attendee, I often find those 20-minute sessions to be some of the best because there is more prep work involved. I happen to think most things in life are better succinct. I'm thinking about sermons, news coverage, journal articles, you name it. Give me one or two great ideas and send me on my way. (laughs) It's one of the main reasons I've always worked hard to keep these podcast episodes around 20 minutes. I know that I am better in my craft if I force myself to focus in. Now, lest you think that's easy for me, well, it's not. I have been a sucker for long-winded responses since at least the fourth grade. (laughs) In grades four through six, we used a social studies curriculum where every test ended with an essay question. Those essays were like my pride and joy of my elementary school experience. (laughs) I would dump the entire contents of my brain into those essays. I would always need an extra sheet of paper. I always elicited beaming responses from my teachers, (laughs) which, of course, established a long embedded idea in my head that more verbiage was better, right? (laughs) Well, um, I think most of us had figured out that, yeah, more words are generally not better. And there are like a million times in the teaching profession where it really pays to optimize our word usage. I mentioned this back in my episode, I believe it was episode number 24, when I was talking about adjudication strategies. So when you are judging a performance event, your number one job is to consider what two or three things you can tell that young musician to help them grow as a performer. Plain and simple. It's not your job to provide them with a laundry list of mistakes and oversights. (laughs) No way. You think big picture, you choose your words carefully, and then you move on with your day. So likewise, in our own studios each week, think about this. When it comes to lesson assignment notes, you know how many teachers will send your students home with an assignment that lists like the pieces and the exercises they're supposed to do for the week, along with a point or two to focus on in each one? Well, if you try to include every detail you want a student to be mindful of, you're going to be writing all day. (laughs) And, of course, we should mention that your students will likely be completely overwhelmed by the amount of information being sent home that they will be even less likely to read it than they already are, right? (laughs) The same concept, of course, applies to the feedback that we're giving during the actual lesson. When we listen to a student play, There are likely numerous things about their approach to the instrument that would benefit from our attention. However, if you try to bring attention to everything, you end up focusing on nothing. I'll just say that one again because it's good. (laughs) If you try to bring attention to everything, you end up focusing 
on nothing. We cannot dive in and fix every single thing we hear and see. (laughs) So don't you think a huge part of our job is to prioritize what we are hearing and make quick decisions as to what to address first? Let's play a game. (laughs) Here's a hypothetical but all too common scenario for you, okay? A student comes in, um, we'll pretend they're a piano student since that's what a lot of us deal with. (laughs) Let's say a student comes in, they play a piece with tense shoulders, kind of a lumpy rhythm, and a few wrong notes. Where do you begin? Now, I'm not here to tell you which one is the correct answer, I'm sure that you can probably make a case for any of those issues being addressed first. I'm more curious to know if you've ever stopped and considered like your own personal hierarchy of what to tackle first um, in a performance. Do you count physical tension and freedom in movement as your number one priority? Do you think that for clear understanding of pulse and meter and rhythm? Or are you a stickler for accuracy of pitch? I mean, you tell me. (laughs) The important thing is that you have given some consideration to what feels most important to you as you listen to your students play. As you determine what concerns to address first, we also have to be mindful of the words that we are using. Listen, when you understand the art of playing your instrument as deeply as you do, I know, it is all too easy to get carried away with overly verbose explanations. (laughs) Let's think for a minute about, like, beginner, beginner students. When I'm trying to help a new piano student find, for instance, a healthy use of arm weight as they explore non-legato sounds at first, well, I can talk until I'm blue in the face about all kinds of things. Or... I can just show them. (laughs) Same thing, you know, I can tell them what proper posture looks like, or I can, yeah, just show them. (laughs) I can describe the way different articulations sound and the physical gestures behind them. Or, as you can guess, I can just show them. And I don't think I have to tell you which one of those is more effective. Yes, it's showing them, by the way, not telling them. (laughs) If I were going to give you a homework assignment for today, it would be this. (laughs) I want you to think about that one thing that you feel like you say over and over and over again in lessons, but you wish you didn't have to. (laughs) I mean, we all have them. (laughs) So what do you say so often that it makes you want to give like a big heavy sigh every time you repeat it. (laughs) For piano teachers, sometimes it's something like, hey, your left hand, left hand. Yeah, no, 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 your left hand. (laughs) But whatever it might be for you. So do you have something in mind that you say all the time, but wish you didn't have to? (laughs) Okay. Now, I want you to consider for a moment if there is any way to communicate that in 
more of a demonstrative manner. (laughs) So at the very least, I would say that you need to come up with a few different ways of phrasing the request that you're talking about, because if you're saying it so many times over and over again, it must not be very effective, right? (laughs) But seriously, is there a way to communicate that directive without any words at all? I think this is a really great exercise for our own teaching skills. You know, if we can ponder more ways of demonstrating ideas to students rather than talking ourselves in circles all day, just sounds like a really great exercise, right? I always teach my pedagogy students um, a principle that goes like this. (laughs) Talk less, play more, listen most. I'll repeat that one. (laughs) It's talk less, play more, and listen most. I say this all the time to my students because, of course, (laughs) our tendencies as educators is to talk. We have a lot of knowledge in our brains, And we are generally, as teachers, wired in a way that compels us to share that knowledge with others. (laughs) But yes, in my own friendly twist on Aaron Burr's famous line in the Hamilton musical, (laughs) we should all ponder how to talk less, (laughs) play more, by the way, that goes for both our students and ourselves, We all should be playing more in the lesson. (laughs) And step three, listen the most. Of course, that includes listening to our students as they play and as they speak. So in an effort not to add a bunch of superfluous verbiage to this episode, I'm going to wrap us up today with a toast right now. Music teacher friends of the world, (laughs) let's just take a moment and give ourselves a nice solid pat on the back (laughs) for the wealth of knowledge swirling around our brains, shall we? (laughs) Seriously, regardless of how many years you've been teaching or how long you've played your instrument, we all bring a uniquely impressive amount of experience and perspective to our teaching. And really, even better, those of you listening are obviously committed to learning more and bettering yourselves as teachers. And hey, I am right there with you. So, As we journey together towards being better for our students, may we really consider how to use our words most effectively. May we use words to speak only when necessary. (laughs) So that way we are working towards this master plan of talking less, playing more, and listening most. Our lessons are going to run in a more timely manner, and the results 
are likely going to be even better. <laughs> so I can definitely cheers to that. <laughs> so raise your glass with me. <laughs> here, here to my multi-talented teacher friends. <laughs> there we have it. Episode 42 in the books. <laughs> I just want to echo again how much I appreciate your encouragement in this little podcast project of mine. I think we're having a pretty good time over on Instagram specifically. <laughs> so make sure you hop over there and follow Beyond Measure Podcast, will ya? <laughs> you can also find me over on Facebook as well. So until we meet again, let's all agree to work hard, rest well, and be nice. Thanks so much, my friends. <laughs>